Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and the newest book is called Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, we actually have brand new telehealth patient options now open and lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we're giving away free signed books. No matter when you listen to this episode, my team and I will be randomly picking winners to send free books to you. All you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can take a screenshot of your Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves and randomly picking winners every month. And then I'll reach out to you. I'll ask which book you want me to sign and we'll send it out to you. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. She is a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Biet Simkin. Biet is a world-renowned spiritual teacher and best-selling author dubbed the David Bowie of meditation. She studied with an awakened shaman since birth and founded a breathwork somatic and meditation experience that she scores with her own music and creates mass meditations all over the globe. Russell Brand says about Biet, he knows no methods to reach the states she induces other than those that are legal. She's featured in Vogue, Forbes, Elle, and Time Magazine, and as the resident meditation guru at the Sundance Film Festival, One Hotels, MoMA, and SoulCycle, Biet advises spiritual best practices for hotels and brands. Biet is best known for modernizing the spiritual path and has been called the meditation guru for the next generation. Let's get right to it. This is Biet Simkin's Art of Being Well. Biet freaking Simkin, where have you been all my life? It's been too long. So good to see you. It has been a minute because there, I mean, all the things, all the places we would be at to hang out, it's been a little bit weird the past few years, but... Now things are changing, hopefully. And I remember one of the last times we hung out, I, we were at a dinner at Mind Body Green Revitalize. It was me, you, I remember Shaman Durek was there, a few other people. And Shaman Durek, lovely as he is, he randomly would just, he did this, his little like shaman procedure on me. And I'm coming from a functional medicine space. I've never had that done before in my life. It was just a day in the life for you. You're like, yeah, Shaman Durek's doing his thing. And he was downloading something onto my spirit and I, I was there for it. It was cool. But yeah, that that was probably the last, one of the last times I saw you. It was so much fun. Something about those trips were so magical. And I feel like you and I really 
spent quite a bit of time at both of those revitalized retreats. So that was so nice to be with you in both of those experiences. Definitely. So take me back in time because you have such a colorful, fascinating, rich background and how you were raised. So can we go back to that? Because I think that's formative to your work today. It's over time, right? I mean, so can you go back in time and what your childhood was like? Because it wasn't like other people's childhood. Not a lot of people. No. I mean, I think a lot of people experience extreme poverty. I think a lot of people experience being an immigrant. I think a lot of people experience, you know, living in shabby, poor immigrant neighborhoods. I don't think that's uncommon, but those are my beginnings. But what I think where it starts to get a little different is that like we had just arrived from communist Russia. My father was a newly awakened shaman who had come to enlightenment in the woods with a secret shaman he studied Ayurveda and the Torah and Hatha yoga with and cured himself of tuberculosis, having a white light experience and realizing he needed to escape communist Russia, come to the States and become a healer. He was a medical doctor at the time. And so I was raised by an awakened shaman. That part's weird. And then everyone in my family died while I was growing up, except for him and my brother. And so it was this blend of real unprecedented tragedy, you know, that I think I spent most of my life, you know, I'm a rock and roller. I was signed to Sony when I was 19. I was playing CBGBs when I was 16. I'm a street kid. I feel like every film made about kids in New York City, like that's me. I, I just grew up really fast and really hard. And, you know, I just feel like I wore the fact that everyone died in my family, like an armor, like a metal jacket or like a leather jacket. And it's really through the work that I've done in the last, you know, 14 years that has allowed me to, I still wear a leather jacket because I think it's cool, but it just doesn't have the same meaning, you know, like it used to. Yeah, without a doubt. So you went through unprecedented, unfathomable loss in your life, the loss of your mom, right? And you mentioned a lot of people in your family. What was your you mentioned your your father had his spiritual awakening. What was your spiritual awakening like? Spiritual awakening. You know, it's funny. I, I feel like I came here spiritually awake, which is I think how all kids come in. And you have kids, you know, like we don't come in really that confused. And because I had my father always pointing the mirror at me at such a young age, I was able to see that. I was able to recognize, oh, this is enlightenment. And so when enlightenment left me, which happened after my mom died at the age of seven. I just, it's not like it left me. It's just, I became an extremely traumatized and depressed person. You speak about this in your work all the time, like trauma enters the body and, and we become human. We become, we, I was going to elementary school and a public school in Queens, New York, which for anyone who's ever done that, it's like full metal jacket. Like it's just a nightmare, you know? So I would come home and in fetal pose in my shower and cry every day. And I'm a sensitive bird. You know, I was telling someone the other day, I'm like, if Elliot Smith and like a business mogul were like fused into one person, I'd that would be me. And so, yeah, so I, I knew the things and I was the things. And I remember too, like everyone always saying that I was so wise and there was something so special about me, but I was like, what are they just like, what are they talking about? I couldn't really see it. And later on, when I actually did wake up and I got sober and I had a vision that I was meant to be a spiritual teacher, I remember thinking like, who's going to want like this kind of spiritual teacher? Like I'm someone who's flawed and I, I'm a kid. I was only 30 something and I have brown hair and I'm a hipster. Like they want like some old dude, like Ram Dass. Like that's what we want as a spiritual teacher. Right. So like, no one's going to listen to me. But anyway, I was having this vision and I was like, all right, whatever you say to the universe, I'll do it. And I went and I told everyone that I knew, okay, well, I'm a spiritual teacher and I founded a meditation system and blah, blah, blah. And everybody was like, awesome. Like, finally, at last. And, or like people would be like, I've always seen you as Yoda. And I'm like, you saw me as Yoda? Like, I thought I was just like some fucking half naked heroin addict, like from... New York City, like, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> so, I mean, it was the self-actual, it was your manifestation, I guess is the way of saying it. You manifested to that, to that level of 
you realizing you had that gift and then the people around you were like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. Support for today's episode comes from iHerb. iHerb offers the best curated selection of wellness products at the best possible value across a variety of categories such as supplements, sports nutrition, groceries, and beauty. This is your one-stop shop for all your health and wellness needs. They care what's actually inside every bottle that may make up your morning, your self-care, or cool-down routines, and more. They test and verify to ensure that what you find in every bottle is what's supposed to be there. Their site is super easy to navigate. You can search by category, by brand, or ailments you want to help with, like circulatory support or digestive gut health support. And then you can further narrow your search by ratings, by price, by specific diet, like vegan or vegetarian. They've really thought of everything to make shopping for these products convenient and so simple. I love this because it's basically like a health food store online. I get my favorite healthy snacks. I get some healthy baking and cooking items. You can get skincare products all at a great price. We all have our favorite grocery store and now you can have your go-to online health store. You can get vitamins, fish oil, skincare, makeup, bath, protein powders, spices, sports supplements, and so much more. It's time to get your health in check with iHerb. Our listeners get 22% off their first order when you use code WillCole at iHerb.com. That's 22% off your first order at iherb.com. Promo code Will Cole. Choose iHerb because wellness matters. So, I mean, you mentioned heroin and and I know, can you talk about your recovery and your relationship with drug use? Yeah, I mean, I'm a former heroin addict. I drank, you know, and I think like for me saying I'm an I'm a drunk and an alcoholic is an important way to like state what's true about me. But I was never like a real crazy drinker. I was never someone who was like blackout drunk. It was really once I found heroin and cocaine that I really was like, this is my awesome cocktail. You know, it made me really skinny, which I really loved. And it took away all of my emotions, which I really loved because I didn't have to feel anything. And for someone who feels a whole fuck ton of things, it was such a treat. So <laughs> you're way with words. I mean, there's no one like you. I know lots of people. There is no one like you. So, I mean, what did, how long did that last? What did your like journey to sobriety look like? I did heroin for a while and cocaine. And then in the midst of that, I had like, a near death experience. So like, I think that what was happening was I was veering towards a life of debauchery and, you know, killing myself, even though that wasn't my intention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during that time I was making music, I was recording, but I was always like underneath pianos. Like I was just really out of it for anyone who's ever done heroin. Like it's not something you're like fully functional on, you know, at least for me, I was not fully, I was like sort of functional. And during that time, I had a near-death experience where I had a seven-pound tumor in my uterus, and I saw a vision. I had like weird things happen and tell me I was going to die, and it's a long story. It's in my book. Don't just sit there. So if anyone wants to read that crazy story, but it does involve me not eating for three weeks and losing weight and figuring out that I had a seven-pound tumor in my uterus. That was removed, and then the doctor told me if, if I didn't have a kid within two years, I would, it would come back and he was going to give me a hysterectomy. And so two years to the day, basically, I was like sleeping with this crazy guy who was, you know, part of that world, part of that world. Mm -hmm. We were DJs together and I got pregnant and I got dry for anyone who's like in sobriety listening to this. I got dry to have my daughter Ula and dry means like I didn't drink, but I was miserable doing it. I wanted drugs. I wanted to drink. I didn't have a real spiritual solution, which by the way, is the only thing that's ever worked for me as a form of recovery. And she came to the planet, really healthy, beautiful child. And four months later, she died of sudden infant death syndrome. Mm -hmm. As soon as she died, I remember calling the drug dealer and just being like, give me heroin. And I picked up a bunch of heroin. And I remember like leaving her funeral which was the following day and like just getting obliterated. And then that went on. And as soon as I started doing heroin again, my house burnt down. 
my best friend hung himself and then my dad died of a heart attack a year later. And so like that all happened within two years. And after my dad died of the heart attack, it was like, I had a year where I was kind of like playing with the idea of becoming a high-end prostitute. I don't know if anyone's ever had that thought in their mind, but I was like, maybe I could do that. You know, maybe I could become a high-end prostitute. And I <laughs> only, the, only the bougie kind for you. <laughs> no, no, nothing low class. Of course. I mean, no, it was why like walk on the West village and like, you know, a skirt or anything, but I was like, <laughs> you know, let's, let's see who I can connect with to like, you know, fund my drug addiction. Got and it. It got really dicey very quickly. And I realized that I, I'm someone who just doesn't, that's not my karma. Like I'm not someone who likes lascivious, dirty, scandalous, paid for sex. Although I do understand the appeal of it. It's like, there's something sexy about that power play. At the end of the day, I feel like I'm kind of boringly wholesome and a little bit monogamous and like, it's just all so boring with me. And so I was like, something's wrong. This isn't for me. (laughs) Wrong path, wrong path. Wrong path. For you. And yeah. at that and at that time, I also like had this vision. Oh yeah, I saw. I started doing fourth way work, which is my father's lineage. After my father died, it was like told to me that I was meant to follow in his path. And so I started doing fourth way work. And one of the core tenets of fourth way is to float above yourself and see yourself in third person and see what do I look like? What am I doing? Who am I when I see myself in third person? That's a meditation called divided attentions also in my book. So I would float and do that, float and do that, float and do that. And I was trying out this technique while FYI, I'm still on heroin, but you know, you can, you can start anything, you start anywhere. Just in case you're listening to this and you're a full-blown heroin addict, like, and you want to be like into functional medicine, like you can get there. There are, there are pathways to recovery. It just, Start by seeing yourself. And one day right. I got a big dose. I saw myself and I was like an emaciated, broke, crazy, fucked up heroin addict. And I was like, right. this is me. And then I had this kind of awakening where I was like, wait a minute, if I don't stop doing heroin and cocaine every day, am I going to be like this, but 40 in 10 years? Cause I was like 29 at the time. And I was like, I definitely don't want to be 40 and still on heroin and cocaine. And that was like this aha moment for me. And so I crawled into sobriety and that was 14 years ago. This month will be 14 years that I've been sober. Amazing. Congratulations. That's a big deal. So you mentioned spirituality being, I don't want to mess your words up, but spirituality was the only path that worked for you for sobriety. Can you talk about that? What that looked like? And then this is like a part two of the question, like fourth way, and being part of your dad's lineage, I don't know much about fourth way, but I would love to learn learn about it as well. Yeah. Wait, what was the first question about sobriety? Yeah. So spirituality being the path for you for sobriety. I see. Yeah. So to me, like, I'm not religious, but I found that for me, having a connection with something that I can't prove, like faith or a communication, which I do very simply. And I teach my clients to do very simply. Like I just, you know, talk to that, whatever that is. I say, Hey, can you help me? Or I say, Hey, I'm confused. Can you show me now? That makes no sense to talk to the air and ask it for assistance. That makes absolutely no sense. And I have found that that level of trust in the invisible plane is a requirement for me to get the level of satisfaction out of reality that I got out of being obliterated out of my mind. I need to have contact with the unknowable. Now, a lot of us, if we don't know how to get that contact sober, we're going to get it some other way. We need that contact. So are we going to drink? Are we going to watch porn? Are we going to you know, eat lots of gross food? What are we going to do so that we can get connected to the part of us that isn't like logic, reason, brain, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to me, spirituality is the thing that helped me. And in terms of fourth way, fourth way is occult mysticism based in theories. So the idea is basically you learn these theories, you study them in a certain context, which I teach. It's very presence inducing and it's like meditation, but with action. So you learn to for say, meditate while you're speaking or meditate while you're walking or meditate while you're doing other things or facilitating a group. 
which really helped me because I, you know, meditating, I was tired of this travel between meditative states and real life. I wanted to have a world where I could be in meditative states and be in my real life. So fourth mm -hmm. way is basically enlightenment for the person who is pursuing winning Oscars or building a billion dollar business or funding their company or working for someone where they're doing big things or have, being a father or a mother and having several children or buying real estate or having sex. Those things are things you can do while you mm -hmm. find enlightenment. You can also very easily buy real estate and fuck and create a huge business and win an Oscar without finding enlightenment. Fourth way is saying, can you do both? Can you live in excellence and also be in that level of pursuit of enlightenment equal equilaterally so that they meet in the middle? Beautiful. And that's why your book, which I love since it came out, I'm just a fan of it. That's why the book's called Don't Just Sit There, right? I mean, it's living your life and not being in an ashram in, in the lotus position as that sort of the cliched meditation, but it's so much more than that. Not that there's anything wrong, wrong with the lotus position or an ashram, but that you're taught, you're teaching a different way to gain enlightenment, to gain a presence. I am. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by history and the history of spirituality. Like, what is the origins of Fourth Way? Like you mentioned it being part of your dad's lineage. What's the, the history of it? It was a man named Gurdjieff who found a state of enlightenment and then traveled to India and also learned Sufism and then took these ancient Indian and Sufi rituals and brought them back and started a cult in Russia but the cult was based on taking these principles and then adding them with the influence of European art and the study of European art. So basically it's Western mysticism. It's very different from like Eastern mysticism because it's taking it and it's bringing it through the Western lens. Got it. So like when you, when you use the word cult, sometimes it has sort of a negative connotation. I mean, I don't know the details of that sect or that group, but like in my mind, I heard it said once, and I think it's kind of true in many ways, is that the difference between a religion and cult is 2000 years. Is that like, we may think something is radical right now, but like, yeah, people thought lots of things were radical 2000 years ago. Yeah, that's true. I mean, no, I think there's some negative things about the cult that he had and the okay, cult got that it. followed. I think for me, like I just took what worked because I like the philosophy. I personally am not a cult leader and I'm not interested in inducting anyone into my cult. Like mm. I'm more like bring it. Like if you want to come to me, I'm like a Bruce Springsteen concert. Like you pay the ticket, you fucking come to the show. I change your life because I'm really talented and I'm interesting. And then you go fucking home and you figure it out. Like, that's it. I'm not here to like, you know, brand you or like steal your money or there's no, nothing weird going on. <laughs> nothing, nothing like that at all. And, you know, isn't that the truth? I mean, I've watched, read so many books. I've watched so many documentaries about quote unquote cults. And oftentimes they start with good intentions and then some man typically messes it up because his ego and becomes like super weird and extreme and isolate people. I mean, but you said like you can extract good tenants and mysticism as a whole is so ancient and there's nothing cultic about it. It, it is very much in my mind, when you look at Sufism or Kabbalah or Gnosticism, there's a lot of spiritual truths that are applicable today. Absolutely. And I like I'm a huge fan of Osho as an example. And then there was that documentary about him on yeah. HBO. And it's like it was obviously a total fucking disaster what happened with his whole scene. But as someone who studied Osho, who was a student of Gurdjieff, same as me, oh. Osho is a fourth way teacher. I mean, he's not branded as that. It's all about branding, isn't it? Like. He branded himself as like some old Indian guy, but he's a fourth way teacher. If you read his works, it's all fourth way. He's quoting Gurdjieff through all of it. So, you know, I love Osho. Osho wakes me up. Like I read Osho and I feel like good inside, but I would I join his cult? No, I think joining a cult is, you know, kind of, you need to be a little bit like desperate to yeah. do it, you know? Yeah. And that's what they do. They typically prey on well-meaning people, but take advantage of them. 
So you mentioned not being a religious person, you, that, you, that your dad had this sort of fusion of Torah and Ayurveda. Like, what is your, were you raised religious at all in that way or no? No, not religious. My dad was a mystic and an alchemist, and he believed that it was our duty to create our own mythology, that it is our job. And he would, you know, I remember him being really extreme about it. Like I would be like, I'd ask him questions and he'd be like, you want me to fucking tell you what to do? I will never tell you what to do. It is your fucking job to figure it out. You know, like he was very, he was a lot like, you know, if you took Wim Hof and like Wim Wenders and like blended them into like a person my dad was I actually hung out with Wim this summer because we did a festival together in in England and I was like wow this guy's like basically my dad <laughs> <laughs> that's a good good analogy uh, so I could picture him in my mind our next partner is AG1 you all know if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time and all of my telehealth patients that listen to the podcast know Dr. Will Cole loves his AG1. It is daily foundational nutrition that supports whole body health. I drink it every day. One of the first things that I do when I arrive at the telehealth center is make up my AG1. It's something that I can do very simply every day to nourish my health. It's something sustainable for all of us that we can do. Through a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for your brain, your gut health, and your immune system. Since 2010, they've improved their formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. With just one scoop, you can get the nutrients and gut health support that helps your whole body thrive and cover your nutritional bases. Look, when I'm looking at labs and look at nutrient deficiencies, they are ubiquitous. And AG1 fills in the gaps of the most common nutrient deficiencies that will impact your immune system, impact your brain health, your mood, your energy levels, and so much more. I love that my AG1 is delivered monthly so I don't have to think about it. I love the AG1 travel packs. When I'm traveling, I put, depending on how many days I'm gone and out of the office, I will put that amount of travel packs in my carry-on. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D. They give you a vitamin D3 K2 blend, a year supply of that, and also five free AG1 travel packs that I love with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash willcole. That's D-R-I-N-K-A-G-1, the number one, dot com slash Will Cole. Drinkag1.com slash Will Cole. Check it out. So you interplay meditation, you mentioned fourth way, but you, you I know because I've been in your classes before, where you will sort of synergistically with your method blend meditation, music, sound therapy in, in a way, or sound medicine. I don't know if you would explain it that way. Breath work and then somatic experiences, which these are terms that I think a lot of people are hearing about. But can you talk about those, the synergy between those, the, the synergy in science between those and why they're so important for your method? I think my method is different just because there's a couple of reasons. One is it's very cosmopolitan. I'm not interested in, like most of my crowd isn't wearing bindis. They're not specifically of the spiritual crowd. They don't follow necessarily all of those stereotypes. There are people who like, some of them work in finance, some of them work in the arts, you know, some of them work in the sciences, some of them are journalists, but it's like reasonable people who are really into life and 3D stuff. Not necessarily someone who's like, ooh, where can I buy incense or like, you know, can't, I'm looking to join an ashram or just like wearing like a turban. That's not the usual crowd. Mm -hmm. Although many people who follow those kinds of paths also are into my work. Everyone's welcome. I'm just saying for the most part, my events are very cosmopolitan. I've done events at the Museum of Modern Art, Sundance Film Festival. It's all about blending the world and saying like, how can I rock these skinny jeans while I screen my film at Sundance? And also 
find enlightenment because I don't want to feel like shit and drink and sleep with someone I don't know later tonight. How can I find sustenance in the invisible plane? And then to answer your question about somatic and breath work, you know, my work is all about aliveness. It's not like I don't talk at you from a podium. I'm not like just sit in silence and take a deep breath and om shanti, everything's okay. I fucking curse. I make you every like 50% of my audience always starts crying. I'm not trying to make you cry people, but like here's the deal. If you if you don't know how to feel stuff, you come to my event, like you will feel stuff. You're going to feel things because I'm going to put you in very uncomfortable situations doing things that you just haven't done in a super 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 safe container. So that something comes over you and you get exposure to what I call your soul. Everyone here is looking for their soul. You think you're looking for a partner. You think you're looking for a wife or a husband. You think you're looking for a bunch of money. You are looking for your soul. And if you come to one of my events, you end up finding that. And it's so painful when you find it because that little soul of yours is so sad that it can't be in your life all the time. It wants to just be with you, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So do you, when you say soul, I believe in the soul, right? And I think that it's experientially for myself, I, I'm very much in alignment with everything you're saying, that we are a spiritual being having a human experience, I've heard it said, which is kind of like what I'm trying to convey here. But what's, how do you... What's your definition of a soul, I guess, would be a good question here. I would say my definition. How would you describe a soul? I would say the soul is kind of like the medium or the connector between you and what I call God or or universe or source, right? So mm -hmm. source energy is like pure light, pure bliss. There's no beginning. There is no end. There's this all-knowing, omnipotent, all-loving, all-encompassing thing. Now, inside of that is everything, right? So I don't believe that that source energy doesn't also include all the things that are dark about the darkness of the universe or the horrors of planet Earth or death to animals in the animal kingdom as they kill each other or death to trees as they die in the winter. All of that is inclusive inside of light, now that's light. And then the soul is a part of us that has access to that. It has, it has basically has its number on Rolodex and can like call it up and be like, Hey, so what should I do with my life? And like that soul gets a direct answer. Now, then there's the other part of us, which is our humanness. Our humanness is like, we're going to die. We're afraid. We have an instinctive center that makes us worried. We plan the future. We, we're disappointed all the time. We're frustrated. We're stressed. We want things we can't have. We, we get flustered. We, we worry about our bank accounts, blah, blah, blah. That's not the soul mm -hmm. at all. Not to say there's anything wrong with that. That's human. So human and soul to me are soulmates. Mm. And I feel like I didn't have a life before because I didn't get to access my soul unless it was an accident. Like I, I did the correct mixture of heroin and cocaine and it all worked out and I made out with some girl and I was like, this is it. And then my soul came in and was like, I'm here for five minutes. And then I would like to see it leave or I would trip on ecstasy or do mushrooms or whatever you do when you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And then it would leave me. And I remember just being, no, 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 no. Like, don't go. And so today, like, I make it my life's mission to just have as much access to my soul as possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I've heard it said that drug use, you know, let, we'll talk about psych psychedelics in a second, but drug use, like hard drug use and alcohol in some ways, I guess. And you mentioned pornography or like sleeping with, with tons of people. People are chasing, like you said, that soul. They're chasing that, but in many ways, those are short circuits in our in our world, right? There, you see, get a glimpse of it, but then you feel worse than ever afterwards. So, I I completely agree with you. I, I see that in the world as well. And you're teaching a way to sustainably have circuitry. Is that a good way of putting it, or a connection with your soul? Yeah, 
I am teaching. I love that. And then like in the Hebraic sort of idea, there's like different levels of soul, right? There's nefesh and neshama and ruach. There's just sort of different levels. And I think that's probably connected to what we're talking about here, right? There's sort of these lower levels that people aren't necessarily tapped into that you're teaching ways to access it. Yeah. It's just about having that, what do you call it? Is it incorporation or like integration, right? Because a lot of my clients do say, okay, well, be it. I'm going to go do an ayahuasca journey or I'm going to go do whatever. And then they'll ask me, do you do ayahuasca? And I'll say, I am ayahuasca. I'm not do, I don't need to do that. I was like to do it. And then they come back, they go do ayahuasca and then they come back and they all report the exact same thing. They tell me, oh, I was told by, you know, Mother Aya or however it's presented when you're on the journey that all things are one, that we are all connected, that everything is made out of love and that I am totally okay to just like pursue my dreams and all this stuff. Sorry, there's like a vacuum in the hallway. I don't know if you're ready. No, I can't pick it up. I'm on ayahuasca, so like I'm here. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I just... You know, like, again, there's no, I have no opinions about those things. And I tell my clients all the time, go do what you want to do. I'm here to help you integrate that. Because at the end of the day, great. You want to have an ayahuasca journey? You want to have a mushroom journey? Five hours? Six hours? I don't know how long you got. But when you come back, like, I'm the kind of addict, artist, psycho human. And an addict. And I'm just going to say that first because I think many listeners who listen to your podcast have addictions. And I will just say as a human and who is an identified as an addict, and I still, um, you know, wrestle with addiction, even though I'm not like entangled in it in a way where it's taking me down, I still am present to it every morning. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I need to show up for this day in a certain way and do many things so that I don't descend into those darker planes. Right. So I, and I do all that work, but I'll just say that five fucking hours for a person like me is not enough. I need it every day. I need it throughout the day. And I need it, especially in times when that really lonely feeling descends upon me, which for me oftentimes is the evening. It's like after I've done the whole day and I've meditated and I've killed it at work and I showed up for my kid and I'm like this amazing mom and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, there's this feeling of like, what's the meaning of it all? What's, what's, what's going on? And and then I'm also like a perfectionist. So I'm like, did I could have done more whatever the fuck happens right in my brain. And then there's this feeling of like, how do I anesthetize that feeling? And Mm -hmm. that is where the work comes in. That is Mm -hmm. how like, not just being perfect when it's perfect, but also being with the parts of us that are a little bit icky, you know? People on social media, telehealth patients, they will oftentimes ask me what I recommend as a healthy beverage if you're trying to be mindful of what you put in your body or you're trying to cut back on alcohol or too much sugar, carbonated drinks, whatever it is. I always recommend hop water. It is so freaking good. You need to try this. Hop water is a non-alcoholic sparkling hop water crafted with adaptogens and neurotropics. It is a fantastic way to support your body's resilience against stress, calming stress hormones, supporting brain function and optimal energy levels throughout the day in a delicious sparkling water. Hop water, that's H-O-P-W-T-R, hop water. Hop water is purposefully crafted without calories, without carbs, without sugar. It won't bust your diet and it tastes freaking great. Hop water comes in fun and unique flavors that are crisp and refreshing. I love the hoppy flavor. It tastes so good. It's unique. And I also love the added mood boosting benefits of the adaptogens and the neurotropics that are in hop water. Trust me, hop water is the perfect beverage to enjoy all year long. Right now, I have a special offer just for my listeners, 20% off your first purchase. Plus you can get free shipping when you order 24 cans or more. To get this offer, Go now to my special URL. That's hopwater.com slash Will Cole. That's H-O-P-W-T-R dot com slash Will Cole. Don't wait. Order today. Go now to hopwtr.com slash Will Cole. Hop- Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Water.com slash Will So you're, I mean, like you said, you're kind of agnostic in a way to psychedelics. But for you personally, I always wonder about that. Someone that, that it's so, living a sober life, right? It, that's gone through sobriety and psychedelics are, 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 you know, there's a lot of compelling research looking at psychedelics with people that have PTSD, that have a lot of trauma, anxiety disorders, different, uh, different even inflammatory problems. We've had some medical doctors that are in research in this space, but it's still like you hear people that abuse it or use it wrong and that aren't good candidates for it. So for you personally, it doesn't appeal to you or it's oh, it's not right for you. For me personally, I haven't found the need to touch anything since my, you know, awakening 14 years ago personally. But I I suggest it for people. I think certain people really need it. And again, my work as a spiritual teacher with my private clients and even in my books and my courses and anything that I put into the world is to help people to integrate that magic because it is Got magic. It. Whatever you do, when you what you see on mushrooms is just straight truth. Like, I'm not going to deny that. But here's my question. Yes, you saw truth for five hours while you were on mushrooms. Yes, you saw truth. How are you going to utilize that at the Dwayne Reed when someone cuts you in line? How are you going to utilize that when you get audited by the fucking government? You know, like, how are you going to use it when you're in the middle of a divorce? That is my work. My work is showing people, okay, there is enlightenment. There is only one truth. But I'm going to show you bitches how to fucking put the pieces together when you're having a hard time, you know, because that's when yeah. you did it. Yeah, that's how you manifest it or integrate it, which is, I mean, and you're absolutely right. Anybody that I've heard that are researchers in the space of psychedelics always pray, say set and setting, like mindset and setting, but then integration, integration, integration. It's how do you unpack the stuff that you've experienced? Yes. Uh, which is what where you come in. So people that are interested in learning your method, well, how do we learn? Like what, obviously the book's out there. Can you kind of give us in like what a typical practice would look like with teaching your method? Yeah, I mean, part of it is breath work. You know, I founded a breath work system which gets you as high as holotropic breath can get you in an hour. My work gets you there in four, three, four minutes, the guided by Viet technique. I think that's important as someone, again, who is a former junkie, I want to feel like I'm able to access the state of whippets and heroin with a couple of breaths, you know? And, you know, I think that that's one of the things that I've grown quite a, a following as a result of is just giving people that access. Another thing is somatic work is moving through the body and actually being with the parts of us that aren't great. And I think you speak about a lot about this in your work as well. Like, I just feel like if it wasn't for somatic work and being able to be with my flaws and be with my fears and be with my sadness and the feelings that I feel are intolerable, you know, cause you speak about a lot about this. You talk about nutrition and I feel like 
such an easy way to cover up a feeling is with a food, right? It's super easy to just eat a processed food. And as soon as you do, guess what? Your feelings are anesthetized, right? So somatic work is the one thing that's really helped me to actually be in my body. And especially, I don't know about for all the listeners, but like as a cosmic being, someone who really loves meditation and orgasms and like celestial thinking and music and things that are like super non-grounded, somatic work helps me as that kind of person to actually be whole, to be grounded and also a channel for like that more spacey, spacey, spacey stuff, you know, because that mm -hmm. stuff, that stuff doesn't get you around just in the real, it's just not going to like, I can't make spreadsheets with it, you know? And so one <laughs> of the things I teach too is I created a new wheel of enlightenment. So I, I've reinterpreted enlightenment. And I think this is the key tenet of my work is reinterpreting enlightenment. So rather than seeing enlightenment, the way we've been taught through this very masculine lens that once you find it, you're done. You're perfect. You float. You have a beard. Your name is Alan Watts. And you just talk <laughs> You talk at people and show them how gorgeously awake you are. Now, I, to be clear, Alan Watts, definitely fucking enlightened, totally enlightened. But as long as that enlightenment comes with the, you know, add on of I'm better than you, you may never get to this state and you, you could try, but I'm Alan Watts and I've, I've already reached it and I'm never leaving it because I'm so fucking amazing. Just as an example, I grew up worshiping people like him and I'm not going to name names, even though I've just already blasphemed Alan, but like everyone else did, did and said the exact same thing. So what I'm coming to this planet to say is that lesson got me nowhere because yes, I found enlightenment, but then I would lose it the next day and eat a donut, or I would like lose it the next day when I had an angry fit about an email that I received. And then I would question my enlightenment and I would say to myself, who is this Biet Simkin, who's a best-selling author and a spiritual teacher speaking at podiums in front of thousands of people? Did she just eat a slice of pizza at a corner bodega? Like, <laughs> that doesn't fucking compute, right? <laughs> so what I've created is a new definition of enlightenment to help everyone see that actually you can find enlightenment and that the enlightenment is an all-encompassing experience, right? So it's a wheel. And so just imagine at 12 o'clock is enlightenment. That's like where you're like, you know, if you're a woman, you're holding your tits and you're running through the breeze and you're like, oh, I know exactly who I am. I know my purpose on this planet. I know why, you know, in my case, they took my child and I know why they had me be poor my whole life. And I know now, and oh God, oh God. It's like Ralph Macchio, like with his leg in the air, just like that moment of like remembering, right? Mm -hmm. Enlightenment doesn't last forever. And it's followed by what I call three o'clock, which is creative flow. And that's where you're like tasked to take the energy of enlightenment and go create with it. So you go and you like start a business or you open a cupcake shop or you start a holistic practice or you teach people functional medicine or you, you know, found a meditation system in my case, right? And share it with the world, whatever. That's all three. And then you're followed by six o'clock and six o'clock is the part where I was like always put off because I was like, that's not enlightenment. Six o'clock is achievement. It's spreadsheets, cold calls, marketing opportunities, business meetings, books about finance and strategy. Like how much of that have you done to get to where you are in your life? I mean, I feel like my life is one big spreadsheet. So it's like, it's like loads tons it's my right. life right but yeah. like it's it's so shameful because as someone who identifies with the creative flow or identifies with the enlightenment piece you feel so far away when you're making a spreadsheet you know and you're like gotta reach out to sandy she's connected to so and so and she works at lululemon you know like that <laughs> stuff makes you look crazy you know so like i, I kind of like the spreadsheets but i'm a i'm a nerd in that way but i, I get your point though i get your well point. we all have preferences for parts of the wheel right but yeah, the point I mean, is is that you can't stay anywhere you can't even if you love spreadsheets like you're like 
I love spreadsheets. You can't stay there <laughs> because you got to keep moving. And so then we go to nine o'clock and nine o'clock is humility. It's where you get like bad news or you just like someone takes a photo of you and you look a little fat or like you, you know, you meet up with someone and they make you like you feel a little icky after you see them or something nine o'clock where you just Oh, or like you reached for something. Like I once had an experience where I was about to do a huge event at Madison Square Garden and then they canceled it literally two weeks before. They canceled me. They didn't cancel the event. They were like, yet we don't, we're not going to have you for this anymore. And that is nine o'clock. It's like, oh, all my dreams, my big dream of blah, 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 nine o'clock. And you fall to your knees. And if you're like me, you just say, I can't fucking do this anymore. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I tried. Like, why'd you give me enlightenment, bitch? Why'd you give me creative flow? Why'd you force me to make all those spreadsheets if you were just going to throw me out of the fucking Madison Square Garden event? Fuck you. And you fall to your knees and you beg and you say, please help me. Like, this sucks. And then somehow by the grace, you're returned to 12 o'clock. And that's enlightenment again. And you feel this feeling of like, wait a minute, I remember the meaning of this. I remember what I came here to do. I'm like, Rocky, no one's going to take me down. Get me up those fucking steps. Fuck yeah. And that's 12 o'clock. And then we go again and again and again. So now when I get an email of rejection or now when I'm doing spreadsheets or now when I'm in the deep of creative flow, which for me is like writing records or creating course content, I just remember like, it's all part of enlightenment. I can't always be having an orgasm running through the streets, teaching people the meaning of it all. It has mm -hmm. to be, I have to do all the things to be enlightened, you know? Oh my gosh, it's so true. I mean, it's it's the human experience. It's the human and the being. It's the continuum. It's the wheel of of life, or like you said, the wheel of enlightenment. It's so true. There's so much shame when people think it's either or and don't realize that it's both and all the time. Right. Yes. So well said. A lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, I heard him say once, he said, if you think you're enlightened, spend a weekend with your parents or your family. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think that was Ram Dass who said that. I oh, okay. Maybe Eckhart was quoting Ram Dass. I don't oh. know. <laughs> um, as you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. I want to pick your brain a few different things within wellness. This is Biet Simkin's Art of Being Well. First question is, what's the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat because it's so good for you, even though it tastes disgusting? I don't know. What tastes really gross, but I eat it. And maybe you don't have one. I mean, that could be the answer. I try to stick to things that I really like the experience of. I tr I've tried, like I can't, I just can't do certain things. Like I'll try to do them because I know they're good for me. And I start to feel a little nauseous and I'll be like, you know what? I'll live. <laughs> <laughs> I'll live with with this without this random, disgusting tonic in my life. <laughs> but I mean, I get that it's good for you, but I'm just like, oh, and I watch my husband. My husband is like the key. He's so deep in the functional medicine, you know, portal. He's cured so many things and he's constantly he takes like 50 supplements he you know whatever he works with one i'm sure one of your best friends sanja but like he's just like in it but i i look at some of the stuff he takes and i've like tried it and i'm like i ain't coming <laughs> i love it what's your dream vacation ideal you get to travel the world with your work what's your dream vacation i think the maldives sounds really yummy what would you do i've never been there i mean it's just sort of a beach What's your ideal experience in the Maldives? I would do nothing. I'm really into places with spas. So I love hot and cold experiences. Like I love saunas and massages and beaches where I lay in the sun and then oceans with salt water. And I love not so much cold plunging, but I really love like hot and then cool and like rain showers and stuff like that. I love it. What is... If you had to pick, I don't know if you take supplements, maybe not, but what, if you take supplements, what are two supplements that you're consistent with that, you know, Hey, this is my, this is nourishing my body in some way, or I notice an improvement. I take magnesium every day. I used to get like, what do you call it? Charlie horses? Like I would wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't move my leg. So I started taking magnesium and it just helps with absolutely everything. That's one that I really love and can't live without. I also currently am 
eight months pregnant. I don't know if you could tell, but you look amazing. Thank you. I'm taking folic acid and I'm taking a multivitamin for that. And then I also really like Chinese herbs. Generally, I get my pulse taken and I do take Chinese herbs in the morning upon awakening. Love that. And you have to get that from an acupuncturist or what herbs are we talking about? I get it from an acupuncturist. Yeah. Great. What's one wellness brand? It could be a food. It could be a snack. It could be a product in the wellness world that you've really been digging lately. A wellness brand that I love. I mean, it's the word wellness is so broad, but I've really been digging a brand called Shirley, which makes non-alcoholic rosé. Because I didn't know, (laughs) I was sober, I'm sober, like I haven't had wine in so long. And now I can have like rosé at at a party, I just bring it with me. And so I'm really into that. Shout out to Shirley, I've never tried it, I need to check this out. I'll connect All right, what do do they put in it? What's the ingredients? You know, there's no, there's, in the rosé, there's only 10 calories. So I can only imagine that there's not a lot of sugar, if no sugar, maybe actually. To me, anything that has 10 calories and tastes like rosé is, (laughs) sounds like it's not real, but um, yeah. Hey, we didn't define it. I need to check this out and check it out. What is, if you had to pick, this is going to be difficult for you. What's your favorite restaurant in the world? And when you're there, what do you order there? That is such a hard question. Oh, my God. Oh, my favorite restaurant in the world. Oh, that's so hard. It's so different. I have so many favorite restaurants. I'm really- Okay, how about like top two? How about like a New York and LA? Okay. Okay. New York, I would choose the Hamptons for the Crow's Nest. And I really love the kale salad there. And I usually get there. It's like a fish dish there. And then in LA, I'm really into, I'm almost pescatarian. Like that's mainly where I veer. And so I often have salmon when I'm out in the world. And so my restaurant in LA would be Great White. And there I get the, I think it's pan seared salmon over like a vegetable medley. Beautiful. Any other top restaurants not in New York or LA for everybody not in New York or LA? I don't know. Top restaurants. I mean, you're in you're in Miami right now. So any Miami spots, joints that you love? We're about to go to one tonight after after I'm done with this podcast. So I'll I'll let you know how that goes. But I do I do like a restaurant called 27 here, and I usually get the mussels there because but it's like a southern like Louisiana infusion. And they have some really bad things there too, like a kimchi fried rice, which Basically tastes like an orgasm, but makes you feel like crap afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Not the kimchi part, but probably the fried <laughs> fried part. What's the weirdest wellness thing that you're that you've done that you're willing to admit on a podcast? And I realize weird is relative, but like, well, how would you answer that question? What do you mean by like weird wellness thing? That like I- maybe that the world would see as out there. What would you say? Okay, great. So I teach a practice that involves like doing a strip tease and touching your body while you talk about stuff that you're super ashamed of. Like you touch yourself and you're like, oh, it's so fucking hot the way they rejected me. And oh, it's so hot. I love it. when I love it that there's cellulite on my thighs. That's so fucking hot. And so you kind of like love on I think the uh, the term for this work is called existential kink, but the idea is to create a cognitive dissonance between <laughs> like, you know, how hot you are and how, because mm-hmm. in a way there is a part of us that gets off on the stuff that really sucks about life. And so it gives that part of you kind of life. And then it also takes out the charge so that you are, when I'm like at a party with like really fancy people who are all really like fancy and all the ways that we all have agreed is very special and better than everyone else. The fancy rule book. (laughs) Yeah, the fancy rule book. Like, it's like, are you a celebrity? Okay, check. You know, like, do you make X amount of money? Check, you know? So those kinds of things can be intimidating for our egos. But when you do this kind of weird striptease stuff around that, you just kind of neutralize it. And when you're at the party, you're just kind of like, I don't give a fucking shit about you or your status or your prestige. Like you and me, we're the same fucking dirty ass strippers. And you and me, we know it. We, I know it. I, I have cli- all my clients are like the highest level. 
everybody has that shit that they can strip to. I promise you. <laughs> I feel like the title of this episode has to be existential kink and something else. <laughs> it's like the perfect sum, summation of it all. Do you know what Enneagram you are by chance? I'm like, as I know you, I'm thinking like, how, what? I'm trying to Enneagram type you, but like. So funny that you ask in fourth way work, which is where the Enneagram d- is derived from and all fourth way books. Have, yeah. And so there's several Enneagrams. There's two. One is the numerological one, which has numbers, which maybe is the one you're speaking about. One through nine, yes. Yes. And then there's this thing called the planetary Enneagram, which is what I teach in fourth way. And so I know only the planetary Enneagram. I am a master of that Enneagram and I can you know, tell you all about your type and like teach everyone and I give seminars on it, but I don't know what I am on the numerological one. Wow. I did not realize that. I know that the Enneagram has some more ancient, earlier, you know, history. I did not realize the connection there. I need to know my plan, planetary Enneagram. We'll have to talk offline and everybody else should learn it. How, how do they learn it? I guess learn from you. Yes, I speak about it in my book, but then I also teach it at my workshops and retreats. And then if someone works with me one-on-one as a private client, we definitely go through that process. The beautiful thing about it too is that as you know, with Enneagram, it's not prescribed. It's not a birthday mm-hmm. astrology. It's nothing. There's nothing woo-woo about it, really. It's just a philosophy. I teach people the philosophy, and then you have the dirty work of figuring out figuring what it out. number you are, or in my case, which planets you are. It's yeah, it's your job. Got it. If you do you ever go to Starbucks? Is that a thing for you? And if you go to Starbucks, what do you order there? Well, I, I gave up coffee a really long time ago and I now only drink matcha. And because I've become like a literal matcha and oat milk snob, I don't, I would never order a matcha anywhere. Literally, mm. even Erewhon, like I won't. Oh, wow. Even Erewhon. Wow. You are a snob. I'm a snob. <laughs> like I, it's my, it, I mean, no, that's not true. I guess I could have an Americana matcha because you can't fuck that up. It's just matcha and water. I could do that. But I don't mess with most oat milks. I just think they're literally rancid. I only drink milk, which no one has yet shared with me is bad for me. But I feel like it's good for me. Like I drink it and I feel good afterwards. Hey, so I love it. A so lot of those, a lot of those nut milks and oat milks have a lot of like industrial seed oils. Not the best. I mean, your husband will tell you. I'm sure <laughs> you don't need me to tell you. No, I know. Yeah, I don't. I just I used to drink it because I was like, well, I'm fucking sober. I should be able to have some oat milk. Yeah, I mean, no shame to people who want that. It's it's fine. I just got sick of how it, my body would feel. Like I felt kind of what's that mucusy like afterwards. Yeah, yeah. If you could only use one skincare product, what would that product be? Ooh, oh, God, probably May Lindstrom. Do you know her? Yeah, I, I do know. I don't know her personally, but I know her line. Yeah. Well, I'll connect you as well. You should definitely know May. She's amazing. But she is such a, just a yummy divine source and her oils and her blue cocoon balm. Yes, that's the like the blue tansy. I love that product. It's good. It's good. Now she made one that's called a happy galaxy. And it's like, you rub it all over your body, which I'm pregnant. So I'm like, just, I'm basically like, she's just shipping it to me and I'm just swimming in it all day. I mean, it's perfect for the existential kink practice. I'm sure. Yeah. And I think, I think May is someone who could probably get down with some existential kink too. (laughs) This is a big question for you. And then I'll let you go. Do you believe in life after death? I know this is completely philosophical and when I'm faith-based maybe, but What are your thoughts there? I don't believe in anything. I think belief is a really weak and intellectual thing to do. Because when you believe in something, it's like you're saying, I suppose that, you know, it, you know, whatever. And the problem with that is that when you live in the reasonable world, in a reasonable world, you will exit the reasonable world. I would say that for me, reincarnation feels really obvious. And I remember things that I can't explain, both from the future and the past. I would say I don't believe in time and I don't really get that I used to be one thing and that I am another. But on another level, I feel, and I've proven this through breathwork, that all moments exist right now. And so if I was a Nazi in a previous life, that's happening right now. Another thing that we can say is true from somatic work is like, I am that seven-year-old who lost her mother right now. I'm not her when I was seven. 
I continue to be her. And it's questionable. How about when I die? And what if there is reincarnation? Do I also take the ambrosia of that loss with me? And how come certain people are born with this ambrosia about them, right? Why are we attracted to each other? Like how you and me met and like within five seconds, we were basically best friends. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like, you can't explain that. So I just mm -hmm. think of it in the same way that if you ask me right now, like, do you believe in love? Like, I don't believe in love, but I can't fucking stop kissing my kid. Like I'm obsessed with her. I watch videos of her as soon as she goes to bed. It's a fact. I don't believe in it, but I fucking know it. I am it, you know? Yeah, I hear you. It's a deep knowing, not sort of an intellectual and the theoretical thing. On an intellectual level, I would say I have no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. All right, my friend, how can people learn more about your work? I know you're taking on a few clients here and there. Yeah. How, tell us all the things. Yeah, one is I'm taking on a few clients. I don't know whether that will, when this comes out, whether that will still be true. I often have wait lists, but if you're looking for your spiritual teacher, I work as a private mentor for a very select group of people. So if you're interested, message me about that. I have a best-selling book called Don't Just Sit There that's out. It contacts the 44 laws, all based in fourth way, which we talked about a lot. And I have a new course coming out. It's actually three different courses coming out breathwork, somatic, and meditation, which will give you access to my crazy, insane breathwork. And otherwise, I speak and I am flown all over the world to do events and interactive experiences. My friend, thank you so much. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.